Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Dr. Cowden, thank you so much for joining me again today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I am thankful that we can have you for this segment of time to continue to discuss the consequences of grief, the physiological consequences of unresolved grief, specifically ALS and other neurological diseases. Would you talk to us about that freely? Yeah. Neurodegenerative diseases are increasing in the United States, especially the dementias. And we know that ALS and and, uh, Parkinson's and MS are also increasing in the number of people that are affected. And there's a variety of reasons. Uh, One is because there's so many uh, pollutants uh, that people are affected by now that uh, that didn't even exist 100 years ago. Mostly man-made chemicals, uh, pesticides, herbicides, solvents, cleaning solutions, you you name it. Man's invented it and poisoned many of the people of the world as a result of that. And so the people are, are developing ALS in part because of that and, and other neurodegenerative diseases. They're also developing neurodegenerative diseases in part because of insufficient nutrition. The nutrient density of the food has dr- dropped dramatically. The U.S. Department of Agriculture did studies in 1935 to look at the amount of vitamins and minerals in the vegetables that were produced in the soil at that time. And then again in 1969, and found that there had been a 70% reduction in nutrient value of the foods in just those 34 years. And we would expect at least another 70% reduction since the 1969 evaluation. So that means that we're down to less than 9% of what we started out with back in 1935. So little wonder that we have so many diseases. We're not getting the vitamins and minerals from our food sources that we need. No. And so, so you know, people that don't do any kind of supplementation, I think are in very much deception. They need to you know, either move to, let's say, Hawaii and live on the side of a volcano and grow their own fruits and vegetables in their yard with organic volcanic soil, or they need to supplement yeah, so since most people can't do the former, they need to do, to do the latter. And then the, the other thing that's, uh, I think, really skyrocketing the incidence of all these neurodegenerative diseases are infectious illnesses. Dr. Judith McClossey in Switzerland has found that 90% of people that died with uh, dementia had a spirochete or a spiral-shaped bacteria in their brain. And 25% of those were uh, Borrelia species related to Lyme disease. And the other 65% were treponema species that are found in the mouth. So there's a lot of periodontal disease that, that gets spread from the bloodstream into the, you know, into the brain every time you brush your teeth and floss your teeth. If you see a, the least bit of blood on your toothbrush or your, or your floss, then you just seeded your bloodstream with some bacteria that, that can end up in your brain. Now, that doesn't mean that you should stop flossing or stop brushing. It just means you need to take even better care of your teeth. Don't floss once a day or or, and brush once a day, but floss and brush three times a day and do it with, you know, like a, a Sonicare toothbrush instead of a regular toothbrush. So we have an epidemic of Borrelia in this country. There's, there's 500,000 new cases of Lyme disease in the country every, every year now, and that's gone up dramatically 
you know, since 1976, when the first cases of Lyme disease were just were described in the United States. So there's so an for Lyme dis- So for Lyme disease, it's not just from tick bites. That's such a misconception. No, no, it's, it's you can get Lyme disease from uh, any kind of biting insect, uh, mosquitoes, lice, mites, fleas, scabies, and also from sexual intercourse and French kissing and a variety of other ways. It's transmitted from the mom through the placenta into the fetus. Uh, so a lot of children are being born with Lyme disease. And then it goes un- un- unrecognized because most doctors are not testing for it. And, but those that are testing for it are using tests that have a f- high false negative test rate mm-hmm. okay so they're they're missing it they're doing one test and saying no you don't have it but but a lot of people do have it even though the one test didn't show it well, i then, know you've written an entire protocol for lyme so you're certainly an authority on it we'll have you back to discuss this specifically for those who are afflicted yeah yeah so that so there's lots and lots of causes of you know Multiple sclerosis, amyotropic lateral sclerosis, Parkinson's, dementias that we that we know about right now, and there's probably others that we don't know about, and so that's the purpose of this conference coming up in the, at the end of September, September 28th through October 1st, is for the people that that are there to share what they've learned. Now, what I've learned is that and since I've been working with the patients that have amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, is that they are some of the most fastidious researchers on the planet. You know, if, if there's an answer out there, they're going to find it. And so if they've found an answer and they've slowed or stopped the progression of their condition or even reversed it, then we need to be listening to them, you know, not waiting for some Ivy League research institution to tell us what drug will fix uh, ALS, but because I don't think the solution will ever come from the pharmaceutical industry for ALS or multiple sclerosis or uh, some of these other conditions. So we need to, you know, pool our knowledge, pool our resources, but listen to the patients. You know, some of the most valuable things I've ever learned in practice, I learned from a patient. That's fantastic. This group, you're very excited about this conference coming up because this is such a debilitating disease, as are all these neurological diseases. And I'm wondering, what are you hearing? What are you seeing that's got you this excited? I'll never forget when you called me, just it's a matter of fact, it was exciting to get the call I got from you just a few weeks ago saying, Virginia, we've got to get this information out to people. And obviously, I'm not qualified to do that. That's why I wanted you to come on the podcast to discuss this. What is it you're so excited about? Well, when I first started working with advanced cancer cases, what I heard repeatedly was the patients were told by their oncologists, there's nothing more that can be done, go home and die. And, And a lot of those patients that were told that are still alive now, 25 to 35 years later, because they didn't believe what the oncologist said. They instead started cleaning up their diet and detoxifying and working on their emotions and all and lots of other things. As a result of that, they overcame the cancer and outlived their oncologist. And, and, and so when I heard that there was 53 documented ALS reversals, I said, I didn't know that. And, and, then, and then what disturbed me even more is that almost no neurologist knows that, okay? Wow. So, so if, if the patients that get ALS go to their regular neurologist, he's going to say there's nothing that can be done, go home and die. 
And in my opinion, that's criminal. They should say, I know nothing else that you can do. Go search and see if you can find something. If anybody listening has ever watched the movie Lorenzo's Oil, they'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't watched that movie, it's, one, it's worth watching because those two parents said, we're told by the doctors there's nothing that can be done for our son. He's going to die. But they kept searching and searching and searching and finally found an oil that they gave him and it, and it cured him. Okay. So the, the, the persistence of the patients and the patient's families can make a huge difference. And so that, that's, Absolutely. That's, that's one of the things that excited me. The other thing that excited me is I knew that, that in integrated medicine, we have a lot of things that we found that work for other severe chronic diseases that are considered incurable by the allopathic medical community. And if we use all of those collectively, maybe we can make a difference in a large number of the patients with ALS with what we already know. But if we don't make a huge difference, we can hopefully find other things because these are innovative, integrative practitioners. They think outside the box. So I think that there'll be answers that come very soon because of this collaborative effort. Your soul, your mind, your heart, your will, your conscience rests right in the center of the cavity in your chest. Mm -hmm. Those feelings emote through the central nervous system, through your brain. Yeah. And the frequencies, the energy fields are all the consequence of those feelings that are transmitted through your brainstem up to your brain. And that is the energy that flows throughout the rest of your body. Yep. Grief is a function of the central nervous system, I think. I see it as an external consequence of something. So you need to identify what you're sad about, which is in your soul, your feelings. Feelings emote. So the feeling of sadness emotes in grief. If we don't begin to have this conversation about the root cause of these diseases and connect them to our very soul, we cannot heal. But the reverse is also true, right, Dr. Cowden? Yeah. Because yeah. you and I live in that world. We see incredible results from this process. Yeah. Miracles. Miracles. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, God bless the doctors that show up to go to work every day that only have 10, 15 minutes to meet with their patients that are part of the conventional allopathic system. A lot of times they just don't have time. They're not given time. And I know for a fact, because yeah. many of those doctors are my clients yeah. and yeah. are dealing with anxiety and depression. They cannot do their job. Yeah. Now, this isn't, you know, I'm not slamming everything or everybody. There's amazing doctors. There's amazing programs. There's good things happening. And there's a huge hunger. I think there's a significant hunger. There's a growing hunger, I should say, for yeah. understanding the root cause of these disease states, because we all recognize we need to do more. Yeah. But I think you're qualified to talk about what I just said more than yeah. anybody I know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very sad uh, about the way the medical system has developed in this country because it that the present system has been driven in large part by some, some greedy international bankers and, and some pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, I think that uh, the medical system has been co-opted by, you know, those financial interests. But, but I think that according to a survey, 
50% of physicians are just completely so disillusioned with and frustrated with medicine that they're thinking about retiring early and going into stock trading or real estate investments or something else uh, because they're not being able to do what they thought they were going to be able to do in the medical field. And that's just a a tragedy because they've, they've spent all these years of investing their time and money and energy into learning some things about the human health that could be valuable if they would just, instead of leaving medicine altogether, shift a little bit to the, to the left or the right and use some, some functional medicine approaches. Uh, functional medicine is you know, using you know, diet, supplemental nutrients, mind-body techniques to make a difference in the person's health. And oftentimes you can help people that way when the pharmaceutical uh, approach doesn't work. So you can, you can you know, not have to jump ship. Well, as a traditionally trained cardiologist, you've been there. You're, you're speaking from experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I did that only for one year. It was, it was too, too emotionally traumatic for me to watch patients being treated with that approach when I knew that there was a better approach. You know, I would help people in the intensive care unit get well enough to get out of the intensive care unit and even to go home, but two months later, they were back in the hospital because they hadn't changed their diet, they hadn't changed their lifestyle, they hadn't, hadn't taken any supplemental nutrients, they weren't drinking water, they were drinking too much you know, alcohol, coffee, and uh, sodas. And so you know, they, were, they were the product of the marketing system of the United States. You know, uh, we have so many advertisements on the TV, you know, you, you need to be drinking this soda or that, you know, going to this uh, fast food restaurant or whatever. And, you know, it, it results in disease processes that are preventable, reversible. And you didn't mention family systems, how we love, the things yep. that compel them. Yep. They have absolutely zero training and recall healing. And understanding yeah. the consequence of these family systems, generational consequence, they don't. Yeah. And even if they have an interest, they don't have time. So, well, yeah, that I think I think a few of them have a bit of knowledge about it. But how how much can you get done in seven minutes? You know, yeah, because that that's the average amount of time that the physicians are, are now spending with patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in seven minutes, maybe you can find out what their chief complaint is maybe do a, a very brief physical exam, but you can't do much of a physical exam in seven minutes, and then write out a prescription for, for you know, whatever drug will help to deal with that symptom the, the best, and then write a few notes and then leave and go to the next patient. That's not a very good quality care. We, we're first in the world as far as our healthcare expenditure per capita, but we're number 37th in the world as far as our, our quality of health. So we're below many third world countries as far as the quality of our health in the United States. That, that's, a, that's a sad commentary. Every time we speak about this, all I see is the immense opportunity we have before us to turn this thing around. We can't yeah. wait for institutions to do it for us. We can't no. wait for the government to do it for us. We need to do it together with each other, for each other. And there is a wealth of information you absolutely saved me from despair as a practitioner. Going to your neuroregeneration course 
in Texas for, I think it was four days or something. I was there a week was just transformational. And I thought I saw an oppor- incredible opportunity to bring all this information to people. And that's what we try to do with rest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just hope that, uh, that some of the practitioners that are thinking about retiring early and going off into real estate or stock trading will instead consider the possibility of, of stepping sideways into functional medicine and learning something about that. And then once they learn enough about functional medicine, then even broaden the horizons more about other types of integrative medicine that can help patients, even though tools that are available in the allopathic medical system can't help them. Well, you and I have been working very hard to get these educational modules together that we have on virginiadixon.com. We're also working very hard to put together a 12th part series that begins with the history of medicine in America so people can understand how we got here and all kinds of practical resources and information. But it isn't just take this and do that. It's about reason through this, understand this, reconcile this and that. And the process of just going both through the modules, I think, and through this 12-month program that you've single-handedly put together as a doctor is transformational. And I'm so excited about it. Do you want to talk about those two things a little bit? Some people, whether they're physicians or lay public, will say, oh my goodness, it's like eating an elephant. Well, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Okay, so you don't try to eat the whole thing because otherwise you get really severe indigestion uh, if you can if you can accomplish it at all. But but take a bite, chew on it for a bit, apply it in your own life, apply it in the lives of those that are closest to you, you know, spouse, children, parents, and then start applying it in in, in the lives of others, uh, friends and neighbors. And if you see an overall positive benefit, then that bite was a good bite to take. Once you've taken that first bite and you saw a benefit, then you can take the second bite and you know work your way through that. You know, chew that, chew on that a bit, uh, apply it in your life, the life of those you care about, your friends and neighbors, and so on. And over time, you'll figure out that you've accumulated enough uh, knowledge and skill and experience to be of help to yourself, to your family, to your friends, and to your neighbors, and if you're a practitioner, even to your patients. And that, that's the way I did it. There were no courses to teach me how to become an integrated medicine doctor. You know, I, I started out in medical school reading nutrition books to start with. Anytime I had a, a few minutes, I'd read, read another nutrition book. And, and then Chinese uh, herbals and then Western herbals and then books on fixed magnetic therapy and pulse magnetic therapy and emotional therapies and uh, unusual ways to quickly resolve deep-seated subconscious emotional issues and on and on. So over time, I, and, and every time I would read something, I would try it out on myself, my my closest family members, then my friends. And if it worked, I said, okay, well, that's a valuable tool. And I would keep that in my toolbox. And in some, ca- in some cases, it would replace another tool that I'd gained while I was in the conventional training institution. And so I would put that one on the shelf and say, okay, well, that was not as effective as what I've learned here on my own uh, in the study of integrated medicine. And so now 
you know, 40 years later, I have accumulated a, a lot of valuable tools. And then, you know, I've, I've traveled also, traveled to, to China and to many countries in Europe and South America and learned things from practitioners there. And if I came back and used it and it worked, I said, it's a valuable tool, keep it. If it didn't work, I said, well, put it on the shelf. Maybe I just didn't use it right, or maybe I didn't understand it or something, and, and go back to it later. So that's the way it's progressed over, over the years till I now have a lot of valuable tools in the toolbox when patients come and are told by the doctors there's nothing else that can be done. Go home and die. Go home and suffer. One of my colleagues said, well, what, what business are you in? I said, I'm in the failure business. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I treat the failures of other practitioners. I, I would say more than anything, I'm, I'm in the hope business. You know, one of the things that needs to be restored in people that are dealing with severe chronic diseases is hope, because oftentimes their hope has been taken away from them by some words that were spoken over them by somebody else. You know, somebody on the internet, some practitioner, some family member, some friend, so-called friend. <laughs> we, need to, we need to all have hope. Uh, it makes us sad and it compounds grief. Yeah. So with everything we have in us, we have to continue to give life to hope because everything in our body is working very hard to live and to stay alive and to sustain our life. So if we can bring our spirit and our mind, our heart, our will, our conscience, our very soul in alignment with these mechanisms in our anatomy, we can heal. Yeah. One of my colleagues many years ago, probably 1989, something like that, said, Dr. Cowden, how can you continue to uh, offer false hope to these patients? And I thought about it for a minute. I said, there's no such thing as false hope. There's either hope or no hope, but there's no such thing as false hope. If I treated back in those days a patient with stage four cancer that was told by their oncologist they have no more, no more time to live, you're going to be dead in less than two months. And, and they're still alive now, 25, 30 years later, it was that false hope. Absolutely not, because they're still alive, right? That's right. So That's right. Well, this is such an important and necessary discussion as we see these neurological diseases and just illness is on the rise. So I am so thankful that you had time to discuss all this with me. And I want everybody listening to know that Again, we're putting the specifics and we're breaking all this down online and some of the resources we're making available to you. And Dr. Cowden, I can't wait to have you back. In October, we're going to be talking about cancer. And I just can't wait to have you back because I think we're going to give people a lot of hope. Yeah, I think people need to have hope nowadays. It seems like hope has become less and less available. scarce isn't it yeah it's become very scarce so i think that uh, we need to do everything we can to reestablish hope in people thank you so much dr cowden i am so incredibly honored to know you and thankful for everything that you pour into rest into our community into our curriculum and all that you've taught me has been transformative thank you from the bottom of my heart Yeah, well, the things that you've taught me have been extremely valuable also, and I really appreciate what you've you've learned over all these years and, and what you're doing right now to try to pass that along. 
it's admirable. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. And the hope is that people are listening to us. And you and I talk about this all the time. But the hope is those listening to us will be inspired and will go out and do likewise. Yeah. Healing the hemorrhaging heart of a nation is going to take an army. And yeah. we're committed to inspiring, instructing, and equipping those listening who want to join us to yep. do so. We have a lot of work to do. Yep. Yep. We challenge everybody to pay it forward. That's right. Thank you so much, Dr. Cowden. I love you and appreciate you deeply. Love you too. God, God bless, bless you. you. All right. Bye now. If you use the promo code podcast to receive a 10% discount for our foundational on-demand day of rest, you will receive a discount for the 40 days of rest curriculum. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. Thank you.